Remain standing, would you? Good morning, church. I am convinced that in the midst of your worship is where miracles begin. Are you convinced of that? I am convinced that even though you don't feel your best, you might not even feel like coming, and you just hadn't felt anything yet, but you worship anyhow, that's the birthplace of miracles. Amen, church? Thank you, Jesus. Take your scriptures while you stand and in honor of the word and go to the second book of Corinthians for our word from the Lord this morning. 2 Corinthians, it will be chapter 12, please. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. On this summer Sunday morning, how happy I am to see this service filled up. The first service was our 9 o'clock service. And then, of course, following this will be our final service for today. I know it makes me glad. I walk around this empty sanctuary sometimes during the week because it's the house of prayer. And I walk among the pews and I walk up in the choir and I say, fill it up, Lord. And you know, as I say, I don't mean just fill it up with people. Fill them up. Fill them up. You know, because if you and I are waiting for something to happen because somebody else does it and they feel good to make you feel good, we could be waiting a long time. But if we're waiting for something to happen because God is here and because He is able and because our faith is in Him, it can happen right away. Now, I do believe that God has given me a word for you today. But I want to make a little confession to you that doesn't mean that I want to have a negative confession. I just make a confession to you because I know that you'll help me by making this confession and that we'll see it together through. This is the fourth week that I've been struggling intensely with my voice and with some sinus-related problems. Yes, I've been to the doctor. Yes, I've taken the medication. Uh, hadn't taken it as faithfully as I should sometimes. But, but I'm struggling with the flesh. This is the vessel I'm struggling with. But I do believe that he can touch the vessel. Amen. So I say that because I, in the first service, though, I think it went okay. I just felt like I had the message, but I didn't have the instrument. And so however he wants to use me, I want to be used, but I don't want it to be an encumbrance to you. So I want you to pray for me today that I can release the word like he wants it released and that you can be changed by it. And after saying that, I do want to ask you to pray, pray, pray for our upcoming summer camp meeting the last week in July, I have prayerfully on my knees, I don't say just to emphasize some degree of hyper-spirituality, but I've sought the Lord about who to come and who to bring to minister on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of the last week in July. These men of God, God brought to my mind and heart, and I've invited them to come for a summer camp meeting for miracle services. I, I think God moves everywhere, and there are people who travel miles to get God to move because that's where He's moving. And maybe that's okay. But I'm saying you don't even have to leave town. Just come to his house. But I'm saying to you, pray with me in the next five weeks or so, however long it is between now and then, for the move of God in our marriage, in our children, in our body, in our nation, for a great camp meeting fire to burn here so that we all be blessed. How many know you don't have to be a sinner to want to need a blessing? You just had to be in this world to need a blessing. Pray for the camp meeting. Here we go now. Thank you for indulging me. 2 Corinthians verse number 7 of chapter 12. This is the Apostle Paul. And he says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to beat me, it means, to torment me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And here's God's answer. 
God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And here's Paul's conclusion after God's answer. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here's what I'm going to do in spite of what I feel or don't feel. I am going to, verse 10, take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. If somehow God's going to get glory out of what I'm going through, I'll go through it. Because here's what I've found out about suffering, whether I want it or not. If I'm doing it with God's direction, when I am weak, then I am strong. So, so here's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about strength out of weakness. Stretch your hands towards your pastor. If I'm not yours, adopt me today from all over the church and pray for me and I'm praying for you. I already feel your anointing. Come on, let me hear you pray. Release your power to heal them and heal me. Oh, Jesus, you are holy and you are righteous. This choir and that song previously, such a powerful song. And I don't want your holiness to leave here. Oh, God, in spite of this vessel this morning, use me and use us. The power is in the Word. The power is not in Alan Matura or anybody else. The power is already in the Word of God. And, Father, I just pray that you'd bless everyone here with the power of the Word so that we'll leave lifted up in heavenly places in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you very much. Amen. Keep your Bibles open. I, like you, I love the stories of answered prayers. When people get their prayers answered, all these prayer requests in this box in front of me here, we invite you to put your prayer concerns here in this box. There are papers, all little slips of papers out at the atrium and the welcome center. Or you can use your own paper. Drop it in there because we're going to pray over it every Monday night. We'll do that tomorrow night. At our men's prayer time, we'll take the box into the prayer room and we'll pray over them. And boy, when you send an email or you give me a testimony or you say somehow to, to somebody else, God heard my prayer. This is what God done. He gave me a job. He healed my body. It makes us glad. Doesn't it make us glad? When prayers are answered, when we seek and ask and knock, boy, we just, and then God answers the prayer. It just elevates our faith. It makes us want to go even further in the Lord. But I want to tell you something that Paul talks about here this morning, that there are times when God seems silent. There are times when we pray once, twice, three times for the same thing, and God's still silent. And then there are times when we pray once, twice, or three times, and God finally speaks. He says, no. Now, you don't get a lot of emails about God just said no to my prayer requests. Give me a witness, somebody. You don't get a lot of emails about God says no to my application for employment. I had the interview, and now I don't get the job. That doesn't really excite us. But I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, in the real world, we're living with the real devil and real attacks against the body of Christ and against us. There are times when it seems like heaven is silent, heaven is brass, and when God finally speaks, he says, no, wait, or something else. What do you do, though you are like the Apostle Paul in some degree? You love God. You serve God. You go to church. You give your tithe. You give your offerings. You serve in the ministry of the church. You help the widows and the orphans. You are benevolent. You're charitable. You don't know of any known sin in your life. And if you know of any known sin in your life, you confess them. What do you do in spite of all that? And you pray to God. And when he finally answers, 
he gives you an answer that you don't understand. Well, Paul gives us some God-honoring responses when we feel weak and we can't sense God. And even when we sense Him, we don't understand Him. He gives us some responses that are practical for our living on June twenty-second, two 2008. Here's the first response. The first response is treat trials as a gift from God. Now, that seems almost as ludicrous as praying and getting an answer inconsistent to what you were expecting. Treat trials as a gift from God. Let me, let me tell you the whole story so that way you'll have the balance and the appreciation for this thought. Look at verse 7, please. Your Bible's open to Corinthians 12. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Now, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that nothing happens to you or me as a child of God without God's knowledge and without His permission. I'm convinced of that. If God is truly in control of my life, He is in control of the good things and the things not so good. So Paul says, this thorn was given to me. And I know it came as a messenger from Satan. It, the, the, the badness of it is from the devil, but the permission for it to come, God had a purpose. Now, then if you go to the last slide, and that was the one that talks about the speculation about what the thorn in the flesh is or might be. Let me say this to you. Just hold it right there for a minute. Uh, every one of us deal with a thorn in the flesh of some kind, okay? And here Paul is not necessarily speaking about a thorn like you'd get from a rose bush or some thorn that would actually penetrate your finger or your flesh while it could have been, okay? It could have been that there was a literal thorn in his flesh. That's not so much so what theologians and others who studied this prior to me and others suggest that it might be. And yet, in all the studying of the theologians in the last hundreds of years, it's mere speculation as to what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. And so, just to give you an idea of what some thought it was and how it might relate to where we are, this is the kind of speculation or conjecture, if you will, as to what his thorn in the flesh really was. For example, if you will, put them up on the screen, all of them there. Some suggest it might be a, a headache. He might have had a reoccurring migraine-type-like headache. If you've ever had a migraine headache or something similar to it, then you know it totally distracts you. Can I get an amen? You just know you can't function and, and it just, it's just something that, that you wish you never had and it's awful and it distracts you. Some says, studying Paul and this thing about the thorn in the flesh, they said it might have been epilepsy that he has this uh, unannounced intrusion in his body when he least expect it that he breaks out into epileptic-like seizures. I don't know. It's a speculation just as the next one is. They said it might be a recurrent malarial kind of fever. As most of you already know, Paul was a missionary. He traveled all over Asia and Asia Minor and the known world at that time. And in traveling into different cultures and climates, uh, it's quite probable that he contacted or contracted some degree of a, a virus and uh, it broke out on occasions with fever and malarial-like symptoms. Could have been his thorn in the flesh. As also, I think, very real is number four. All the adversaries of the Word of God. You see, Paul preached the gospel, and not everybody received the gospel. Can I get an amen? 
just like you living for Jesus today and living by the Word of God, you're going to have people who are not going to like the fact that you are a Christian and you want to win them. Give me an amen. What I'm saying to you in this politically correct America where people are saying however you can find God, you find God because there's more than one way to God. You can go through Buddha or Allah or Muhammad or you can go through Oprah's television show. No offense, but she has her own religion. And you can go through all these ways and you can go, th- and you can go through psychology or all kinds of things. Just however you find God as long as you find God. And in this politically correct uh, uh, society when we rise up and somebody like me will come and dare say to you that Jesus said that there is none other name under heaven whereby we must be saved in his name. That offends people, but that's the word of God. Because there's only one way to God, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. There's no other salvation, there's no other eternal life than what God provided through his son, Jesus Christ. But if you preach that, and I'm going to preach it, it makes you uh, somebody's adversary. And because Paul preached the truth and preached Christ, and because the Jews didn't want to accept Christ, as their Messiah, he was persecuted, he was stoned, he was imprisoned, he was beaten. Anybody hearing me this morning? He he was afflicted of all kinds of ways. So that could have been his thorn in the flesh, as perhaps number five, fleshly temptation. Even after we're saved, the devil comes back and tries to make the former life more attractive than the life with God. Give me an amen, somebody. Even after we're saved, we're having a down day or a bad day and things are not working out. And the devil says, you remember when you used to have those down days, those bad days, how you'd call up so-and-so and you'd just party for a while, get drunk or stoned or high. All you need to do is just do it one time. After you do that one time, you feel better than you not do it anymore. Fleshly temptations. Help me hear somebody. Every, all of us wrestle with the flesh. Give me a good amen, somebody. It could be a private sin or a public sin. It could be what we say with our mouth, what we think in our minds, what we look at with our eyes. Where we go with our feet or what we touch with our hands. Every one of us have fleshly temptations. For some it's more strong than others. It could be our thorn. It could be spiritual temptations. What do I mean? The Bible tells us that we should be disciples of Jesus Christ. In order to be a disciple, we should read the Bible regularly. Say amen. Just like the physical body needs breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or some food, like the physical body needs water and nutrition, the spiritual man needs the Word of God, needs prayer, needs fellowship with the saints. Say amen, somebody. We, we have a fleshly appetite, and we have a spiritual appetite. The more you feed your spiritual appetite, the less likely the flesh is going to have power over you. But, but we have, so that could be the thorn, the, the thing about not doing the things we know is right. And then the infirmities of the mind. Oh, my, my, we all look our Sunday look. We look good, we get up, we dress, we comb, we fix, we tuck, we nip, we do all kinds of stuff. And here we are, and we're looking good, and we look sound. We all can look sound, and somebody can look at you this morning at your pew where you are in the choir and say, Now, if anybody's got it all together, just look at them. They got it together. And yet in your mind there's a storm raging. There's a storm of fear because you got some news from the doctor that you didn't like. There's a storm of, of, of anxiety because you find out that this, in this economically troubling times that your company may go under and you'll be without a job. There's a storm in your mind because you've never struggled with panic attacks before, but all of a sudden, here they're coming. And so the infirmity of the mind. There are other speculations as to what the thorn might be. But I'll take you back to this point, if you will, James. If you will treat your trials as a gift from God, then you'll understand what James says in James, if you'll put it on the screen, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. 
My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Since God knows everything, and since God knows me, and God's allowed this thorn in my flesh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to trust God, so I'm going to sing anyhow. I am going to go to church anyhow. I am going to give my offerings anyhow. I'm not going to backslide. God knows everything. He has a plan for my life, so I am going to experience joy and allow this trial not to drown me, but allow this trial for God to work His work in my life. Give a Lord a hand clap, somebody. Oh, yeah. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Gifts that I've gotten, gifts that are meaningful, or, or just gifts come from people who like me, who care about me, who want to give an expression of a blessing to me. And I'm saying God loves us. He cares about us. And sometimes the gifts He gives us are gifts that we don't understand. But if we let it, uh, if we allow prayer and His work to work in us, we find out that indeed what Paul says, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. Give Him another hand clap. Let me give you another response, please. <coughs> when you go through this thorn in the flesh experience, when you go through these places where you can't explain God or feel God, then remember, number two, what God has already said. Somebody say amen by faith. Paul says in verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Meaning that prior to now, this hard place I'm going through, God has given me revelations, revelations upon revelations in the past. And God's been good to me to speak to me. And so, you know what I need to do is remember that God has made me promises that are not yet fulfilled. And He intends to fulfill them just like the ones already fulfilled. Can somebody say amen? And so, what Paul is, is saying is that I don't understand God right here and right now. But I am going to trust Him because he works in my life for my good and his glory. You remember on one occasion, and I don't have the reference right in my head, but Paul talks about having a vision from God where he was taken into the heavenlies. And he says he doesn't even know if he was in his body or out of his body. He might have been having a dream or a vision. But he said he saw things. God showed him some things in heaven and in the heavenlies that his human vocabulary can't even describe. They are so awesome and they're so marvelous that he don't even have the words to utter it. Revelations from God. And I'm telling you, Paul says, here I am. I've prayed three times for this thorn in my flesh. God finally answers and he says, no, I'm not going to deliver you from the thorn. I'm going to give you grace. And Paul says, if I don't understand God right here, I do understand that he has brought me to this place in my life by his grace. I've gone through other storms. I've gone through other battles. I've gone through other dark nights of the soul. I've gone through other afflictions in my body. But when I needed a revelation, somebody came to me in church and said, God loves you and I'm praying for you. When I needed a revelation, the preacher preached from the word of God, just like if he was looking at my life last week. When I needed a revelation, the choir sung a song that I needed to hear. When I needed a revelation, I opened my Bible and it just fell open and there was a revelation from God. And because God is a good God, He's given me revelation before, I will trust God where I cannot trace God. Somebody shout praise the Lord. 
What you need to do is go in the book of Psalms. You're not the first one. I'm not the first one to have questions from, uh, about God and His working. Read the psalmist. Read where men and women of faith had questions. Where are you, God? How long, O oh God? How does it, why is it heaven's brass? Read in the Old Testament and New Testament where people question God about what's going on in their life at that time. But in spite of their inability to understand God's working, they said, you know what? I just think I'll keep on going to church. I'll keep on serving God. I'll keep on loving God. I won't go back to the, to the drugs and the alcohol and the sex and the cussing and the lying because it's only going to be a temporary solution that will damn my soul because I may not go back to God. But I'll remember, I'll remember what God has done before. And because He's the same yesterday, today and forever, He'll do the same if I need it again. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Unsurpassing revelations. You can read the Bible for yourself. Get in the Word. Here's a third response to those thorns in the flesh, those areas of weakness. Continue praying to God. Now, I know that's so simple it probably doesn't overwhelm us, but it's powerful enough to change us. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. This thing, the thorn in the flesh, the migraine headache, the uh, malaria-like fever. Oh, for us, after 20 years of marriage, he or she says to you, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. After you raise their kids, after you sacrifice for them to go to college and get a degree, after you uh, worked your job and they worked a job for you all to start your own small business and now it's up and running, he or she found somebody else that they say is more compatible. So after 20 years or after 10 years or 30 years, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. And so, so, so what do you do in the midst of all that? What, what, do, what do you do when you train up your children in the fear of God, in the Bible, in prayer, and you took them to church and trying to bring them up right, and then they got mixed up with some crowd or somebody that has gotten them involved in drugs and in alcohol and in crime and, and sexual lifestyles that are against the Word of God, and you've done all you know to do. I tell you, continue praying to God anyhow. Oh, somebody say praise the Lord. Lord, thank you, Jesus. I want you to understand this word plead, this word plead doesn't just mean it's a kind of prayer that you add on to the end of your God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food prayer. <laughs> I feel a whoop glory coming right on. Yeah. By the way, God, and if you got an extra second or two and you could take care of this other stuff, that make me glad. No, no. If you got a thorn, you ain't going to be adding on no little namby-pamby, lay me down to sleep prayer. This word plead is the same word used in the book of Mark when Jairus rushed to Jesus. And, oh, I feel the power of God. And broke through the crowd around Jesus. And Jairus says, Jesus fell down at his, at his feet. My little daughter is home and she is dying. Medicine's not helping my daughter. Nothing is helping. And I, Jesus, I heard you are a healer. I plead with you, Jesus. Come and heal my daughter. This same word plead is the word used when the leper in the Gospel of Mark ran to Jesus. 
and with his stinking, oozing, flesh falling off his bones, leprosy. You've heard about leprosy. You know something about leprosy. It's unsightly. It's smelly. Your appendages fall off. Chunks of flesh fall off. And back then in that time, as it might be now, uh, a leper uh, considered contagious was an outcast of society. But the Bible says he broke the societal rules and the political correctness of the day because he was a dying man, fell down at Jesus and pleaded with Jesus. This same word pleaded is also used on the account where Jesus gives uh, an illustration. He says there was a master who was collecting debts owed him. And he called in one of the servants who owed him quite a sum of money. And the servant did not have the money to pay. And so the master says, lock him up. Lock him up until he's able to pay his debt by the thousands and thousands. Lock him up, let his wife, his family, his friends find a way to pay his way out. And this servant who legitimately owed the master the money and couldn't pay it, realized I'm about to be separated from my wife and children for the rest of my natural life. I'm about to be separated from the community. And oh man, he's full of anxiety. He falls down at the feet of the master and pleads with the master, have patience with me. Give me another chance. I'll do better. And the master does. And what I'm saying to you is when you're going through your storm, when you're going through your battle, when you're going through your marriage or your divorce, or when the doctor says the spot in the, on the lungs that we did the biopsy with or for is now malignant, when you're going through those kind of places, you're not going to pray some little sissy little prayer. If your daughter's about to die, if your limb's falling off, if you're about to go to jail over a debt that wasn't your fault or you can't pay, you are not going to pray a little old sissy prayer. You're going to hit your knees you're going to cut off the TV, cut off the cell phone, lay down the magazine, get along with God and say, God, if you don't help me, I don't have any help at all. And if you get desperate, God will hear you. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Sound like my voice doing pretty good. Yes, you all got an answer to your prayers. And I did too. Now, let me tell you, sometimes God will allow us deliberately to go through dark places because that's the only place you'll get our attention. Yeah. Sometimes God will allow us, and I'm not, I'm not just saying that for everybody. For some of us, the only time we visit with God is when the hammer falls. So he let the hammer fall because he wants to say, look, I want to help you. You don't have to wait till you're desperate. But even if you're desperate... Plead, plead with the Lord. Uh, here's a little acronym. It's not new with me, and you've seen it before, but some may not have seen it. Pray until something happens. Push, push, push your way to God. Push by, by past doubts. Push past lies. Push by past, past skeptics. Push past demons and darkness. Stay on your knees if you have to lay your face on the carpet until you drench the carpet with your tears. Pray until God changes you or changes the situation or does both. Yeah. See, sometimes God, God wants to change me and sometimes he wants to change the situation. But pray either way. The little boy lost his marble. Little marble. He's a kindergartner. And he said this, kindergarten teacher, would you pray that I would find my marble? And she knew it was important to him, and she was a Christian kindergarten teacher, so she said, I will. 
prayed, and the next day the little boy comes to school, and she thought, kind of hesitantly, you know, silly to pray about a marble. I used to think it was silly to pray about pet dogs. Not anymore. Uh, uh, so, so, so she says, well, he's so silly about a marble, but I'll ask, I'll ask little Johnny if he found his marble. And so she asked little Johnny the next day, I prayed about your marble. You finding it? Did you find it? He says, no, ma'am. I didn't find my marble, but God took away my desire for it. Changes me or changes the situation? Push. Here, here, here's another thought, please. I want you to have from the word of the Lord. Number four, what do you do when God says no, wait, or later? You listen for God's voice. Because when you dismiss yourself from all the other clutter of voices around you to get alone with God, he'll say, my grace is sufficient for you. I wish somebody would say amen. God will speak, but he doesn't always speak the same way or through the same means. Uh, you remember after 9-11 and the terrible terrorist attack on the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, and other targets? You remember September 11, 2001, how you saw it on the television, how the towers collapsed? They said, and I read this, that in the... In the uh, Moments, and especially the days after the towers fell, that specially trained crews of rescuers brought in listening devices, listening devices, so they could hear the sound of people trapped in the rubble. In reading about this, these listening devices were so sensitive, they could hear the cries of people for help. They were so sensitive, these listening devices they brought in, in, in the, they could hear the heartbeat, even the heartbeat of somebody that might still be alive in the rubbles. And you know, those who, the rescuers who went in to rescue those trapped in the rubble, at that time, their priority wasn't, let's get revenge on those who did this. At that time, their priority was, let's see how we can reunite all of America and make us more patriotic. Their, their priority wasn't any, their priority was to strategically place those listening devices in the rubble and around the rubble so they could even hear the murmur of a cry for help. There's so many noises going all around us every day that it's sometimes it's difficult to hear the one thing that we need to hear. Can I get a witness, church? Right after the towers fell, you know that there was still rubble and there was still debris falling from some building. Distracted the capacity to hear a real cry for help. Right after the towers fell, there were F-16s flying above New York City because we didn't know who the enemy was or whether they were still out there. The roars of those engines were distracting to the cry for help. Right after the towers fell, you also understand that there were some other noises because there were police sirens, there were ambulance sirens rescuing people. But the key sound that, that needed to be heard was somebody calling for help. And, and I want to tell you, if, if you, brothers and sisters, would excuse yourself from all the things that you have to get done, and you must get done, and get alone with God till you hear from God, you'll find that you'll get those things done faster and more efficiently because you've taken time to say, God, I cannot fix this by myself. I must have you. If you listen for God, God will speak. Give him a hand clap, somebody. Write this down if you're taking notes. Don't limit where the voice of God might be found. You remember when Elijah ran for his life after Jezebel threatened to kill him? After one of his greatest miracles on Mount Carmel, when fire came down and destroyed 
consumed, I should say, the sacrifice on the altar, proving that God Jehovah far supersedes the God of Baal or Baal. And Elijah killed 450 false prophets because on that day when God sent fire down on the sacrifice, he proved that God Jehovah is the only God of Israel and all Israel should serve God. Wicked Queen Jezebel because Elijah nullified her religion, made it of no value by the miracle of God. Wicked Queen Jezebel said, Elijah, I'm going to kill you just like you killed my prophets. And he ran for his life. Ran for 40 days. He didn't eat or drink. Went and hid out in a cave. Asking God to kill him. Before that wicked woman kills me, you kill me, God. But I want to tell you something else was going on with Elijah too. He was having himself a little pity party. Yeah, he was. I know because the Bible says, God ain't, Elijah says, God ain't nobody else serving you. I'm the only one. And see what happens for me getting to serve you? Help me preach. I'll do it by myself. Yeah. I'm the only one religious, righteous, holy. I'm the only one doing right. And now she's going to kill me. We get in our own little party too. Our own little pity party. I get mine. And the reason some of you ain't coming to mine is because you're busy having your own. Yeah. We're all that way, aren't we? I give my tithe. I give my offering. I sing in the choir. I help in the youth ministry. I help in the music ministry. I help as an usher. I help in the security. I, I, I help the missionaries. I do all this. And I sacrifice. And the preacher says, if I give to God, God will give back to me. And now I find myself in, deep, in a deeper debt because I gave to you. I don't think I want to do this anymore, God. And we have this pity party. If going to churches like that and singing songs and worshiping God and reading the Bible, I, I had it worse than this before I came to the Lord. So I think I just go back to the devil. That's what the devil wants, see. Paul says these light afflictions. God is going to allow your faith to be tested because he wants to make you strong. Somebody say amen. God's going to allow you a difficult place in your life to prove that he is God and he is strong and you can have strength in your weakness. So if you will hold on and trust God and dismiss the pity parties, you can eventually hear from God. And after Elijah got through with his pity party, the Bible says there was a great wind that blew up against the mountain and the cave he was hiding in. Somebody with me say amen. After the wind, there was no voice from God. Then after the wind, the Bible says there was a fire. A fire fell in the area and proximity of the cave he was hiding in. And he thought, surely God's in the fire. And he didn't hear no voice from God. After the wind and after the fire, the whole mountainside and the cave shook with an earthquake. All the ground below Elijah shook. And he thought, this really must be God. And there was no God. But then there was a still, small voice. They made a song out of the verse that says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Now, I just told you guys, don't limit where you might hear the voice of God. The preacher might even sing. Let me tell you how you'll know the voice of God. Write this down, too. Amidst all the politically correct voices and all the other advice, you'll know the voice of God because it will never violate his written word. 
You heard me? God will never tell you to do something that's inconsistent with his already revealed word. In this age of relativism, where if it feels good, do it. Lie if you have to, and it gets you out of tight. Uh, we love each other, so let's go ahead and sleep together anyhow before we get married. In this age of all that junk, you know you hear the voice of God because it doesn't violate his already revealed word. God will bless. He'll bless those who walk in his word. I don't know why I want to tell you this, but I'm going to risk it. And a fellow called me about two months ago, three months ago, that nothing about this church. He said he's going to be out of town. He's a preacher. And there's a wedding taking place. Somebody asked him to do a wedding in our proximity, one of our towns nearby. And he said, Pastor, I'm going to be away. I've already done the counseling and all. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and what I need is for, for you or one of your staff members, if you're available, since they're going to do it near you, your town, in a very lovely location, if you could do the ceremony. Uh, he said that compensation is, is good, too, because uh, they've made arrangements. And uh, so it'll bless them and bless whomever. And because I know this, this fellow, and I, I said, well, I, I'll entertain the thought and see if I or one of the staff member might be able to do this wedding. And then I said, give me the number or have the, the couple or the, the bride or groom to call me because there's some questions I want to answer before I venture there. And uh, I don't mean this unkind at all, okay? I just mean that God will bless obedience, and I already know his word, what he's going to bless. And so the, the, the young lady called me and said, yes, A, B, C, D, and I asked questions. I said, now, uh, this is the date and so and so, and uh, in light of the fact that you know this pastor and I know him and, and et cetera. And, and uh, then come in and see me at a given time and we'll talk a little bit more. And I'll get some details. I said this to the bride-to-be. And then before I hung up, I said, by the way, uh, you and your, your fiancé, you're Christians. You, the, the preacher said, you were, yes, yes. And so, so you all are living separately right now. Oh, oh, no, Pastor, we're, we're living together. Uh, we're staying in the same place. And Now, listen, look at me a minute, okay? Sometimes I give the appearance that he is a stupid man, but I'm really not. I got more in this empty place right up here. This may be empty, but this is okay. Isn't it, Valerie? How you know? Because she, she she's a wise woman. Look, anyhow. I said, now here's the condition, ma'am. Uh, you need to separate from your fiancé and he from you. Because you, don't come here telling me you're living together, but we in separate bedrooms, separate house, same house, separate bedroom. We ain't sleeping together. Well, you think I'm rip off my shirt and have a sign in there that says, he's stupid? I just got through telling you about fleshly temptations. Don't, don't put yourself in the place to even be tempted. I said, now, young, I said, now, in order for me to do this, you and he got to separate until marriage, not sleep together, not be together as husband and wife. And uh, I said, come in, the long and short of it, it didn't happen. Didn't do the wedding. And please understand me. I want to bless people, but I can't do it at the violation of this book. Okay? I can't do it for nobody's children, mine, yours, or anybody else. So... So, listen, why did I go there? Because sometimes a thorn in the flesh has everything to do with what I know I need to do, but I'm not doing it. 
Sometimes the thorn in the flesh stays there because I'm not willing to give up and forsake some stuff that God already told me must be dealt with before I get my miracle. Since that went over so big, I'll go to point number five. Uh, Trust, and it's okay, and I'm fine. You are too. Everybody okay? Say amen. I'm going to try to wrap it up here with two more thoughts. Trust in God's power. The Lord spoke to Paul and said, I know you prayed. I know you pleaded three times. And I'm telling you, my grace is sufficient. The answer is no. I'm not going to remove the thorn. But my strength is going to be made perfect in weakness. Paul, I am going to give you strength to keep preaching, to keep being a missionary, to keep writing letters, which will eventually become books in the Bible. I'm going to give you strength. Trust in God's power to save that marriage. Help me, somebody. Trust in God's power that when you tithe and you give your offerings, even though gasoline is over $4 a gallon and groceries has gone up 17% and people are being laid off, trust when you give God His 10%, His tithe and offerings, that God is going to take the 90% you have left over and make it go a lot further than if you kept it all. Because God cannot lie. Yeah, it's a good place to give Him a hand clap. Trust in God's power when you sow seeds. The Bible says if you sow seeds in tears, you might go out weeping. If you go out weeping, you will doubtlessly come again, reaping, rejoicing. Trust in God's power. Somebody say praise the Lord. Trust in God's power when you walk into that intensive care room and it's your mama or your daddy or your son or your daughter and they've got, they've got this ventilating machine on your loved one and you can't even talk. They've got IV needles in and out everywhere. They've got heart monitors and their face is swollen because they just came off of seven bypass surgeries. Trust in God's power. And even though they're 72 years old, that God kept them till now. You lay your hands on them if you can. You pray a silent prayer in that intensive care room and you let God do his miracle because he is a God who is still able today to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can think or ask according to the power of God that works in us. Somebody shout praise the Lord. The prophet said it's not by my might nor my power but by my spirit saith the Lord of hosts. Trust in the power of God. He's a miraculous wonder working God. Your prayers are not in vain. Paul, I will give you the strength you need and the grace you need for the thorn in your flesh. My power, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Ask Gideon. Started out with 32,000 to fight 100,000 or more. And God says, you got too many. Whittle them down. You know, the process from 32,000 ended up with 300 to fight 100,000. God did me that. I'd say, and I wonder whose side you on, God. God says, if you went with your 32,000 and you had the victory that I was going to give to you anyhow, you'd say, look what I've done. But you know, going with 300, that's like taking a BB gun and shooting at the rock of Gibraltar and hoping to impact it. I feel a whoop glory. You, oh, bless 
I wish I could sing. I'd sing, God, any rivers you think are uncrossable. I'd sing, God, any mountains you can't. Listen to me. Don't you come tell me later on what T.D. Jake says when I'm telling you all this good stuff right now. Okay? Don't you bring me no cassettes or CDs from John Hagee, T.D. Jakes, or Rod Parsley combined. I like them all and they have their own place. But I'm telling you some stuff right now they ain't heard yet or they ain't preached yet. I'm telling you that God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? The devil or demons in hell has no power equal to the power of your awesome God. And if you'll trust him where you can't see him, he'll show up in spite of us. Raise up your hands and say, I believe you, Lord. One more point. Come, it'll make them think I'm closing. Serve God right where you are. Verse number 10 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. Everybody read out loud with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This past week was the North Georgia Church of God camp meeting. And on Wednesday morning, Sister Addis, I saw you there. Some of you others might have been at that service. Wednesday morning, a 31-year-old preacher by the name of Brian Hunter, brought the message. And uh, I was a little reluctant as to whether I could hear anything from God, from Brian Hunter, because the package didn't look too promising. Hello? Uh, He didn't come with no suit, no tie to preach. He had this kind of summer-looking shirt. Blue jeans, shirt out of his pants. Wondered if the boy ever had a mama going to church like that. Then he had this. You know, people ain't got no hair. They, they talk about other people who have hair. But if I had hair, I wouldn't comb it with a weed eater. I really wouldn't comb my hair with a weed eater. I'd comb it with a comb. And he looked like he had combed his with a weed eater. And I'm thinking, you know, God, I'm open to all these services. Because when I go to a camp meeting or meetings like that, I'm thirsty. I'm talking about for hearing from God. And uh, the package didn't look very promising. Because I'm from the old school, and that doesn't mean my way is the only way. Okay? I'm from the school of, well, you see. Tie, coat, shirt tucked in, and other kinds of. And yet God is wanting to reach every generation. And that doesn't mean that Brian Hunter agrees with everything I do, and that doesn't mean that I agree with everything he does. Different calling, different places. Just don't compromise the truth and holiness and righteousness in the Word. And, and what he was trying to do that morning was, and he did a wonderful job at it, was to bridge the gap. His name, the name of his church is Genesis Church. Genesis Church. Interesting name. Genesis is the word beginning and new beginnings. And, and Brian Hunter went to Tallahassee, Florida from Ohio for almost five years ago. 
and started the church in Tallahassee. Started with eight people. We had a burden and a charge from the Holy Spirit. And in four years, four and a half maybe, his congregation has grown to uh, 1,200 people. Uh, I don't think they have their own building. I think they're meeting in a high school or something because I went on their website to check it out. And uh, has hundreds and hundreds of conversions. And uh, he, he's telling his story and telling about, let's bridge the gap between the older of the church, the more traditional way, and the new thing that God is probably trying to do. Let's be united as pastors and church and the people. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with loving everybody. I'm okay if you're coming looking for Jesus. Come as you are. It says embrace people at the point of their need. That's the, that's the first thing on our mission. So if you come looking different than me and you don't wear a suit and tie and you don't wear it any Sunday, I'm okay with that. That's, that's not prerequisite to get into heaven, okay? I'm okay if you're looking for Jesus. I'm okay if you're looking for Jesus. I'm not okay if you found Jesus and you're trying to take us away from the word. But you're looking. And uh, so he was speaking that way. And, and I thought, man, this is a sharp-looking 31-year-old. 1,200 people. Uh, multiple services. He has a promising future. He's physically fit. He looks like he keeps himself. He's very articulate in his delivery. Uh, wife and two children. What a future. And then he said at the close of his sermon, so let me just tell you a little bit of my story here so you'll understand that this is not about Brian Hunter. And this is not me going to a new town, getting a new idea, and God blessing it because of me. He says, I'm trying to serve God right where I am in the midst of what I'm going through. He said about a year ago, or maybe two years, he took a missionary trip to Mexico and contracted some sort of disease that when he came home for months, his body ached, his joints, his muscles ached, and the doctors still don't know what it is. He said there would be times when his little child, he, had two, two, he has two children, but the smallest, say, hold me, daddy, hold me, daddy. But he was in such pain, he couldn't bend down to pick up his little child. Tears coming down the child's face and his own face because he loves his baby, but he's in such pain. He said about six months ago, it all changed from the neck down to fibromyalgia. And some of you know about that because it's such a painful thing. He said to us that there are days at times, two or three days at times, that he is in the bed, 31 years old. He stays in the bed because he doesn't have strength to get up. He says, I'm I'm under medication. I'm under heavy medication all the time. He said, I knew I was coming to this conference, and two or three days ago, I was running out of medication, and I told the Lord, God, i got to have strength. I'm going to this conference in North Georgia to speak, and they're expecting to hear from God through me, and I'm in such pain. He said he had his medication filled, and he came. Doctors tell him that only if his liver would last ten more years. Somebody came to him in his church, and he said, she said to him, you know what your problem is? You don't have enough faith for your healing. How many know that is absolutely, in some context, ridiculous? He said he knew she meant well, but he also knew she was stupid. And he's right. Because sometimes it doesn't have to do with your spirituality. 
if it had to do with spirituality, anybody who can get an answer to prayer would be Paul. Because you go back one chapter and you find all the stuff he suffered for the sake of Christ spiritual. He was one of the most spiritual men I know in the New Testament. Revelations above measure, the apostle, prophet, all kinds of offices of, of ministry he functioned in. And it wasn't about his spirituality that God didn't hear him. Because God's working something else. And Brian Hunter said, I've decided. He said, I've been in prayer lines. I've been in healing lines. And I'm going to continue to be in healing lines. But I want to serve God right where I am. He said, I'm going to get up every day and I'm just going to say, this day I have now. I won't think about tomorrow as far as what I suffer not tomorrow. I'm just going to serve God and live right and do the ministry and be fruitful where I am. I'm going to serve God right where I am. Would you stand, please? Let me say, Pastor, that's going to be me. That's going to be me. I don't understand where God's taking me or why I'm here. But I have made up my mind I'm not going to let it make me backslide. I have made up my mind that even though I can't figure out God, I am going to trust God. Pastor, I, I don't understand about my job. I don't understand about my finances. I don't understand about my marriage. I don't understand about my health. I don't even know about my future. But I want to be like Paul. I want to be strong and I want to serve God anyhow. And, Pastor, I'm going to step out today by faith and say, God, you can count on me. You can count on me. I know I can count on you, God, but you can count on me. If that's you, leave from where you're standing and let me pray over you here at the altar in a closing prayer. I may not pray over you individually, but I'll pray over you as a body of believers. Get a little chorus or something you can sing and the choir help you come from everywhere. Come in close. God, you can count on me. I know I can count on you, but you can count on me. I'm not backsliding. And if you can get glory for Christ's sake, go ahead. At the cross, at the cross, That's good. Sing it, everybody. First the light and the bird. Those of you that are common, those of you in the house, lift your hands to him and say, you will count on me as you sing. My sight. And now I am Sing the first verse. At last and then I'll be. At last and then I sing. Everybody sing. Okay, now I'm going to pray. And I'm going to tell you in the altar that God is not a God who's going to mock you. He didn't ask you to come up here, and I didn't ask you to come up here to mock you or tickle your emotions to let you down. He says, by you coming here, you said, God, you can count on me. I'm reversing this thing around. I already know I can count on you, God. You just can count on me. 
come whatever may, I am not giving up on my faith and my serving God. And if through my pain and my suffering, somebody else can be touched, for Christ's sake, I'll endure it. But I want to tell you something. Paul says these light and momentary afflictions cannot be compared with the glory that one day shall be revealed in you. In this life and in the life of come, to come, these afflictions, he says, are light and momentary compared to what he's going to do in you. Those in the house, stretch your hands to these in the altar. Those in the choir, stretch your hands. And now let me pray over you. My Father, I pray the blood of Jesus Christ reapplied to every life. The blood that will never lose its power. We sang about it. And in your suffering at Calvary, Jesus, you said, by your stripes, help me praise Him now, I am healed. I pray for healing, God. I pray for healing of our minds. Come on and claim it by saying amen. I pray for healing, O God, over our bodies in the name of Jesus. I pray for healing over our marriages. Say amen to that. I pray for salvation for our loved ones who are not yet saved. I pray for deliverance from sin of any kind. I pray for deliverance from a lifestyle of drugs, alcohol, pornography, lust, and any work of the flesh. Say amen to that. I pray for financial miracles. Oh, Jesus. Some people need a job. Some need a house. Some need an apartment. Somebody needs a car. Say amen, church. I pray that in the weakness of our inabilities to provide ourselves with our daily sustenance, that you, God, will make yourself strong. Provide jobs and income and finances. But, God, I'm standing in this altar saying you can count on me because I'm not going to go back to cussing and to worldly shenanigans. And I'm not going to go back to doubting and fearing. And I'm not going to have a pity party every day. I am going to serve you. Count on me. You can count on me, Jesus. By faith, I am well. By faith, I'm delivered. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I praise you. Clap your hands and thank Him. But drops of grief can never repay. Sing that chorus. Stay, that verse. Stay here and sing this. But drops of grief can Go and go in His power.